Columbus Dispatch is taking an in-depth, year-long look at the Linden neighborhood. This series will explore how Linden became one of the most economically depressed neighborhoods in Columbus and the challenges of revitalizing the neighborhood. We'll speak with residents, neighborhood leaders, and elected officials throughout the series. You can read about it in the newspaper at Dispatch.com and listen on this podcast. This is Living in Linden. I'm Danae King. I'm a reporter here at The Dispatch, and I cover faith and values and immigration. And I'm here today with Pastor Mitchell Ellison of Crack House Ministries on Cleveland Avenue in Linden. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what he does at Crack House Ministries and also a little bit about faith in Linden. So first of all, Pastor Ellison, tell me a little bit about Crack House Ministries, what it is, and tell us about the name. Oh, my goodness, what it is. (laughs) I think you would do a better job at telling me what it is. After 20 years of doing it, it has changed dramatically from what it really started to be. We were initially just ministering to people who had addiction to crack cocaine, but now we minister to people who have alcohol issues, uh, opiates, and whatever the case might be. We started, as I said, 20 years ago, and things have been really good. We've expanded. We now work with grandparents. We work with children, and we have some services uh, that we provide one-on-one and uh, Bible study and Sunday services and serving lunch. And so I don't know if that tells you what crack house ministry is or not, but it's variety of different things. There's five major things that we do, which is the sober homes, the partnering with grandparents, the ALSD, a little something different for the youth. And we do man missing in action, which is a mentoring piece. And I think I mentioned the partnering with grandparents. But so that's it in a nutshell. From day to day, we don't know what we might run into or what we might do. So I just can't say one thing because I call it needs driven. Whatever the needs are, that's what we try to provide to the community. So tell us a little bit about what crack stands for in the name. Well, Christ resurrects after crack kills. And uh, my wife and I actually got that actually during addiction is when I thought, you know, I saw so many people struggling with addiction to crack cocaine and had a desire to give back and wanting to help people who were struggling in that area. And, and because I'm a believer, I believe that God had just given me the name uh, and it suits the bill. You know, a lot of people would come up against it early on. Why are you naming a church, crack house ministry, this, that, and the other? And I'm amazed that 20 years later, we're still, you know, moving on. Awesome. So you were an addict yourself, right? Yes, ma'am. So is that kind of drove your passion to create this to help other people? Oh, yeah. Initially, uh, it drove my passion because when I was actively using, I never really saw any place that would take in people Christ-centered. I'm sure that they were out there, but I just wanted to make a safe haven for men initially. But then as we got into it, we saw that the need was greater than just men. It was women. It was children. It was everybody. So, yeah, it drove my passion But I think it had originally always been there to want to help people. I just didn't know in what area, you know, so I had to go through it myself. So, yeah, like I said, Crack House Ministries is on Cleveland Avenue in Linden. And I got the opportunity to stop by a few times in the past two weeks. And the first time I came, 
you parked by the curb and we went in the front door and, and a woman had called you from across the street. And that's kind of part of the great thing about Crack House Ministries is that people recognize you and they're comfortable with you. And it's kind of obvious your doors open when people are in there. You guys have lots of events where people will come in and people just feel comfortable kind of asking you for help and talking to you. What do you think created that kind of atmosphere? I just think longevity. I think uh, having been where they are, there's a level of trust. I normally tell people my story before I hear their story. So then they kind of drop their guards and begin to be more comfortable sharing with me uh, where they've been, where they are, and where they desire to be. So I think ultimately it's my story. It's like, look, I've been where you are, you know. So that's kind of what gets the thing stirring is me telling them all the good, the bad, and the ugly. So not only do people call out to you for help, but you also will kind of call on other people to come to you for help. So on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you have a free lunch the ministry offers to anyone Mm -hmm. at 1130. And so on Tuesday, I went and I got to meet one of the people that you've helped. Her name's Yvonne Ashley. She's 44 and she lives in Linden. And we're going to hear a little clip from her about how you impacted her life. This is a place that saved me. Seven years ago, I came in here on crack cocaine and I was a prostitute. This is the area that I was doing my drugs and everything in. And I've always noticed him out and he used to say, hey, you come here. I was so ashamed I would run. But the only time I came in is when I knew it was food. And he would try to talk to me. But of course, I had other things in my mind. If he hadn't been so persistent the way he was, he wouldn't have got me. He was just one of those men who's not going to quit. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. He didn't stop chasing me. He didn't stop yelling across the street. He didn't stop driving down the street. Hey, come here. You know, he was persistent. Like I said, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. I'm a great success story for him. You can do it. You just got to put your mind to it. Now, you can do it, and it's going to take one person to tell you a good word to say, it's okay, God loves you. That's what he used to say. God loves you, and so do I. That's all he used to say, Pastor Ellison, and say, God loves you, and so do I. I thought that bit of audio was really powerful. So tell me a little bit about your reaction to it, and, and what makes you, or made you, you know, in this case, reach out to Yvonne and, and try to bring her and help her get clean, which she did eight years ago. First of all, it's making me blush, but since I'm black, you can't tell. Uh, You know, uh, almost brings tears to my eyes because, you know, there are so many Yvonnes and so many Johns and so many Roberts and so many people over that period of 20 years that that same story can be echoed. Unfortunately, what happens is a lot of people who get healed, get delivered, get set free, come off of drugs and alcohol, they move on with their life. They no longer really, and and that's fine, but I like to see them give back. And Yvonne is one of those persons who uh, has always given back. She'll come in and help serve the community and let them know her story again. By one person telling this story, it helps another person. So my reaction to that is, um, yeah, that's Yvonne. And as I said, we have so many people. Man, we've seen people go to the penitentiary. We've seen, we've buried so many people. I had to get used to 
doing this type of work, this type of ministry, because uh, for the first 10 years, I was kind of just filling it out, trying to fill, you know, find out what it is that I'm supposed to do, how it is that I'm supposed to do it, and when and when not to say certain things. So dealing with Yvonne, dealing with the people in the lending community is relatively easy because I think once you know their language, you know, and once you get to know them, you know that they weren't raised like that. You know, they've just unfortunately found themselves in a position that they need a hand up and not a hand out. And that's what we try to do. So I'm excited for Yvonne, you know, and her family. You know, she has gotten her kids back. And so those are the stories that we look for. Unfortunately, the other stories kind of override those stories. When you have to bury someone and they come in and they say, Pastor, you know, so-and-so got shot. You know, I think that we know now a lot of people in the neighborhood from doing the lunches that their parents come in or their friends come in or the girlfriends or the boyfriends. And you just hear what's going on in the community. We are the dispatch of Linden. <laughs> That's great. There you go. <laughs> you could really see that on Tuesday, though. I came a little early before the lunch started, and people were flowing in, and, and there were people coming to you like, you know, one young woman really struck me. She came in, and she had a black eye, and you knew her, and, and you knew, you know, what had kind of happened, and we're talking with her and just being there for her. And you said, you know, it's easy to talk to people in Linden, but from doing this work in Linden and looking a little bit into the community and the faith community there, you know, I'm doing a story on whether the faith community could be an anchor for London when it's a place that doesn't really have a community anchor. And you said it's easy work, but there's a lot of churches there. There's more than 50 churches in London, and only a few of them are doing this kind of work. You're definitely one of them. But tell me, you know, it's easy to you, but what do you see as that barrier that you know, maybe these other churches or other houses of worship aren't finding, they're not able to talk to people in Linden. Why do you think that is? I think, you know, I think like I told you when we were at my office, there is a fear. There's a fear, even though a lot of the people have addicts and alcoholics in their family, they're still not necessarily trained or gifted to reach out to them. I think it's just church as usual, you know, and with addicts and alcoholics and people who are not even on any substance, there has to be a transparency. There has to be just invitation, you know, and I think there's not a lot of inviting to people who don't smell good, people who, you know, don't talk like you talk, walk like you walk, dress like you dress. And until that happens, we won't make the impact that we can make. You know, I'd love to have a big church and preach every Sunday to a full congregation and, you know, a great offering. That would be wonderful. But it's just not how it is in Linden. You know, our ministry on Sundays haven't grown because I call it a revolving door. You know, you help people and they leave, you know, and then other people, like I say, they are incarcerated or they die. And most of us who are in the religious part of it, we want to grow. We don't care. Maybe I shouldn't speak for them, but I don't think that people really care whether they're helping people. We're counting numbers. 
You know, and if I were to count numbers on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday or a Sunday or whatever it might be, it's thousands of people, but they're never gathered at one time. Never, you know. So that can be discouraging when you're a preacher because we as preachers, we want to preach to a crowd, you know, and I want the crowd to have some money. I want the crowd to look good, you know, to make me look good, you know, but I just had to, you know, come to myself years ago and say, that's not where I am. You know, I've had the opportunity of preaching outside and I love preaching outside of the crack house. It kind of strengthens me and encourages me. So when I come back, I'm ready to serve the community even more so. But I think it's fear. I think it's just, it's fear and it's selfishness. You know, I didn't even know it was 50 churches in the community. That's sad, you know. Yeah, and, you know, when you, we were in your office talking before, you said the churches are in the community, but the community isn't in the churches, which was great. And you also said that, you know, that's because churches say their doors are open and they, you know, people can come in, but they don't make them feel welcome, which is kind of what you said today. They don't make them feel like they can stay there, like no matter how they look, how they smell, what drugs they're on, they can feel welcome inside those halls. So what do you think it would take to make churches in Linden, you know, the 50 churches in Linden, what can they do to change that? What would it take to make people feel welcome in them? I really think that people need to be trained. You know, I'm working on something now. It's called Next Level Living, and it talks about trust. You know, I think people need to know how to interact with people who don't look like them or, you know, that they otherwise don't know how to minister to. And a lot of people aren't willing to go through that. They don't want to. They want to try to change the people into who they are. And that's just not going to happen. I've tried. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not going to happen. They are not willing to learn. Everybody wants to be the leader. Everybody wants to be the leader. And nobody has the humility to say, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Will you help me? There's not really a big collaboration. We have larger churches that come down from the suburbs, and they're doing a wonderful job, you know, when it comes to practical needs and things like that. But there has not been very much change in the heart of the people, because until we get to the issues of the heart, we can feed them with the lunches that we do. We can clothe them and things like that. But until there becomes a mind change with that person, no noticeable change is going to occur. And so I think if we got together and we talked and we say, how can we better serve the community? I think most of the time we're trying to serve ourselves. Like I say, it's not a very rewarding kind of ministry or job. It just isn't. You know, there's, I didn't call the Columbus Dispatch. I wasn't looking to talk to anybody. I'm out there. I want to do it. And maybe because of my experience in the Army, you know, I've related to all kind of people, and it's boots on the ground. If you're going to get anything done, you have to be down where people are. You know, and that's cool because I've spoken at Mount Vernon University. I've spoken when Jim Trestle was at Ohio State with the football team. You know, I I go into all kind of institutions, all kind of prisons and things like that. So that's refreshing because it's new faces and it's a little 
more people. You know, it's not the same population. It's not always drug addicts and alcoholics. And you have to do that day in and day out. And it could be discouraging uh, from the point of, man, why don't you get it? You know, or why is that girl out there prostituting again today? And they may come through lunch and we build a relationship with them, but we don't run in and say, I'm the savior. I'm going to save you because that's just not realistic. It's not going to happen in a day. It may not happen in 20 years, you know, but you still, as Yvonne made mention of, you're persistent, you know, to try to help somebody, you know, and that's what I think the crack house does. Years ago, they labeled us and they said, I just feel so loved in here. And that's the biggest takeaway for me was, oh, okay, that's cool. As long as you feel in love, but we're hitching your head. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and when I say we'll hit you in your head, we say it jokingly. And I used to say all the time, listen, you're going to make me step out of Jesus. You know, and people need to know that I'm a person just like you are. I have feelings just like you are. And as a matter of fact, I was where you are. You know, having been homeless before, having been incarcerated down at the county jail before, all of those stories are my stories. It's just broader through a whole lot of different faces. So you come at this from the perspective of, like you said, having been through it, but also you grew up in Linden. You've worked there for 20 years. So what do you want to see for the future of Linden? What do you hope happens in whatever way that is? You know, like the mayor's focusing you know, on Linden as a revitalization priority. So, you know, maybe that's the way investing in it. But it it seems like kind of what you're doing might be part of the way, you know, maybe the whole way as well. What do you see for the future of Linden? What do you want to see? Well, I mean, I can't, to be honest, I really don't have a visual for what it's going to be. I think what it could be, if there was a collaboration, it would be people helping people where they are and how they need the help, you know? And what I mean by, I started the boxing, church boys boxing, and within four months, I had at least 30 kids participating in the boxing. And so I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And it's like, okay, this is something that draws their attention. For me, when I boxed, it kept me off the street, kept me out of detention home or juvenile system, because in the evenings I had somewhere to go and I had somebody that cares for me. I think in Linden, we really need to talk about what their needs are, because I just see the people leaving and I see the whole makeup of Linden changing. So maybe in another year or two, it'll be an entirely different kind of people there. And I see that. And I see everybody running in, getting what they can, buying up what they can, and possessing the land. You know, so those people that I'm working with, they'll be gone. They'll be in some other hood. They'll be in some other ghetto doing something else. So I don't know if I have a lot of hope for Linden when it comes to revitalizing. I guess that's the word you use or changing it over because I don't think people are really concerned. I think with the buildings, we're concerned. I think with the bicycles, I think I talked with you about that. Mm -hmm. They're concerned with the bus stop. But I don't think that we're genuinely concerned, and I may get in trouble with the people. You know, so where I am is, you know, I'm tired. You know, I'm tired to the point of saying, well, you know, I'll do this for another five years, and then I'll do something else. 
I believe that we as Crack House Ministry have done what we can do with the limited resources that we have. Let's just say if I had a whole lot of money, I'd do five programs. I'd help the grandparents. I'd help the kids. I'd help the addicts and the alcoholics. I think you have to help the whole family. You know, I visit the jail so much to visit people, just to visit them, to put money on their books, to just encourage them and this, that, and the other. And so I don't know if I can really picture Lyndon different. You know, other than the buildings, I don't see how it's going to happen unless we come together. And it's so sad now with the opiate epidemic that Caucasians and blacks are really still not working together. You know, I had to put that in there because that's how I feel. It's like, you know, we talk about racial reconciliation, and I think that we don't even know each other that well. You know, I think we're scared of each other. So if you throw an addict or an alcoholic in there, now it's affecting everybody. So I think that everybody ought to come together and affect the problem. That's good. I should write that down. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, though. You know, there's not that coming together, it seems, in Linden. There's just, you know, pockets of help, but very small pockets that aren't working with other people. So it's an interesting perspective you have, and I I really appreciate you coming in and, and talking with us. And if you guys are interested in learning more about Linden and the series we're doing, you can check it out. My story will be in this weekend at dispatch.com. Thank you so much, Pastor Allison. You're welcome.